Amen. Well, hello and good morning. It's great to see everybody today. I heard somebody say good morning. You're welcome to say good morning if you want to. Awesome. Great. Thank you for making me feel so welcome. Uh, But in all sincerity, I do mean that. Thank you for making me feel so welcome. Um, You know, I've lived here for uh, next week will be nine months, and I have absolutely loved it. I love living here. I love Wisconsin, as strange as some people may think that is. You know, when I told people I was moving up here from Texas, they're like, why would you leave a nice, warm Texas to go to crazy cold Wisconsin? And I'm like, wait, let's, let's fix that first phrase because it's not nice, warm Texas. It's disgusting, hot Texas. Because I was down in Houston, close to the Gulf and the humidity there. Imagine the hot days here with the humidity. And let's take that and let's bank it into 100 to 110 degrees um, for like a month straight with that humidity. So... It's nice here. It's nice. It's enjoyable. But I've loved living here. You guys have made me feel so welcome. Uh, and I love being a part of this body and a part of this family. And, and I mean that with all sincerity. Now, also, having just moved up here from Texas nine months ago, you'll have to forgive if some southern terms come out or any southern lingo or draw. I, I think I've, I've done a pretty good job of trying to clean it up some. Uh, but uh, I've already been harassed by some of my friends for saying lawyer rather than lawyer, um, and I say vehicle rather than vehicle. So if I say something today that just think about the words I'm saying, and I'm sure you can process it, because I had to learn what a bubbler was. So (laughs) we don't have bubblers in the South. We have uh, water fountains, water fountains, which I also understand you think is the thing in the front yard that the birds play in. So... (laughs) So we'll just pray that God brings us all together on the same page and helps us understand one another, that he can bridge that gap. Uh, Today, I'm going to be continuing on in the Unleashed series uh, that Pastor Derek started last week. Um, If you're a title person and you're taking notes, you want to write down cause and effect. Today's title is cause and effect. Pastor Derek's done such a great job um, leading us with the Momentum Project. Isn't it exciting seeing what God's doing? I think it's so awesome that... uh, you know, that God's given the direction and said, this is what we're doing and this is where we're going. And we're not sitting here like, oh, that's a cool idea. Let's talk about it a little more. Well, we figured out what God wants us to do and we've done it. And we've started taking steps. So I think that's really great. Um, with that, there's all sorts of excitement going on in the church right now. Last week um, and even the weeks before that, Pastor Derek's been talking about discipleship. I'm going to continue on in that vein and that thread, talking about discipleship. One of the main points that Pastor Derek had made was that disciples have a purpose that were called by God. Uh, same as him, I can vouch and agree that I didn't move 1,400 miles away from my family just uh, for snow and for Lake Michigan and brats and all that stuff. Although that's great. Uh, I moved up here because I was sincerely convicted in my heart that I was called by God up here. And so that's why I came. And you, each of you, even though it may not be moving thousands of miles away or doing different things. Some of you may have different things that God does call you to do. Each of us are called to do something in the kingdom of God, to be effective in the kingdom of God, uh, to spread the love of God, to love God, love people, and serve the world. And so uh, he's been doing a great job with that. Today I'm going to talk about more how disciples have passion. Disciples have passion. There's a difference between someone who goes to church, someone who is religious, I know if you've had conversations out and about in public before and you talk about your church, which you guys do all the time, it's amazing to see how many new faces continually come in and I'd say the very large majority of them, probably like 90% are from word of mouth from you guys 
saying how awesome your church is and how much you love your church, and that's great. That's awesome. Um, from that, there's a difference. In those conversations when you're normally having them, someone might say, oh, you're a religious person, I see. Well, there's a difference in being a churchgoer, being religious, considering God and things like that, and being a disciple. There's a difference. Because you can go to church, you can sit in the seats and, and enjoy a good message and not, not be changed, not be transformed, not be committed, dedicated to what God has done and what he's doing in your life. And I believe we've got a house full of disciples, don't you? We're all disciples. Disciples have passion. Now, granted with that, I've heard a lot of messages in my day. Uh, I'm a pastor's kid, if you didn't know. I've been in church all my life, 28 years of church. I've heard more messages than, than I don't know, stuff that you've heard a lot of or whatever. I've heard a lot of messages, okay? More camps, more youth conferences, ministers' conferences, tagging along with my dad when he would go places. So I've heard a lot of messages. In the process, I've heard a whole lot of, come on, guys, it's time to be passionate for God. Come on, you know what Jesus did for you? Let's be passionate about it. And there's truth there. It is, we are called to be passionate. I mean, when you consider what Jesus did for us and what he is doing in us and what he's using us for, um, that's not something to be lethargic or, or just casual or haphazard about. Um, that's something to be passionate about. But today I'm talking about, I'm going to address the issue that I think sometimes is us putting the carriage in front of the horse. I think it's really, really easy to burn yourself out trying to be passionate rather than discovering passion. And so today, let's, go, uh, let's get into the scripture. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Now, this is going to be one of those messages that as I'm going and as I'm talking, you're, going to be, you're probably going to be thinking for a minute, now, what in the world does this have to do with Unleashed? And what does this have to do with passion? And you're probably going to be thinking that all the way through like three quarters of the message. And then we're going to get to the fourth quarter, and you're going to be like, touchdown, got it, awesome. I understand now. So just bear with me. We're going we're gonna to get there, and uh, I believe God's got some really awesome things to show us. Um, Romans chapter 5. Most of the time I'm in the New King James Version because that's the translation that Jesus preached out of, right? And um, five people got that joke. Awesome. We're funny today. <laughs> Romans chapter 5, but this time I'm going to be in the New Living Translation uh, because I think it really helps us understand uh, some of these potentially deep and confusing phrases and wordings. Uh, Romans chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 12, uh, and we're going to go through verse 21, so we're going to be reading for a second. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world, Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin, because there was not yet any law to break. And that's talking about the commandments of God. Still, everyone died from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who was yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness 
for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person, I'm sorry, one, one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many became righteous. Verse 20, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. That's good stuff right there. I just want to take a lap around the building already. Um, today we're talking about cause and effect. Right there we just went through a whole uh, passage where the Apostle Paul was explaining these two comparisons of Adam and Jesus. And what Adam did, his one act, his act of sin, how it caused death, it caused uh, destruction. And then down the road, Jesus' one act of righteousness on the cross, cleaned up, obliterated, and totally destroyed that one act of sin and gave us passage again to right standing with God on the airplane. And, <laughs> but not really. That takes me back to a children's church song. No, you can't get to heaven. No, you can't get to Nobody knows that one. I guess it's a Texas thing. All right. Great. Um, anyways, the comparison and contrast of, of Adam and Jesus. We're talking about cause and effect. Now, if you've at least been through, I want to say junior high, you're familiar and introduced to the concept of cause and effect. That being one thing happens that is the cause, and then something else from that happens that is the effect, such as... Stephen holding ball, let's go of ball. Gravity would be the cause and the effect would be the ball drops, right? Or cause, you tickle the cat too long, effect, you get bit and scratched and stuff because cats are finicky like that. Cause, LeBron James, effect, a weeping and mourning, Pastor Stephen, because I love the Spurs. I always have and always will. So please be praying for me. And uh, Ben, I don't want to hear it. And uh, so we're still in recovery from that. Cause could be Pastor Stevens cooking dinner, effect. We should probably just go out to eat. Um, <laughs> cause and effect. Cause, Adam's sin, effect, death. I'm to remind you that very first verse that we read, Romans 5, verse 12 says, Adam sinned and sin entered the world and death by sin. Death came in through sin. There was no such thing as death. There was no such thing as destruction. There was no evil or wickedness. When Adam sinned, death came in. And I'd like to propose this idea to you. A lot of times people have the idea that, oh, God doesn't want us to sin because he's the big bad cop in the sky that doesn't want us to have any fun. And he's raining on our parade. He's just a big Debbie Downer. Womp, womp, womp. Which is not the case at all. God is against sin because he's against death. God doesn't want you sinning because he's against death in your life and what that sin would cause. So let's go on. We read that passage. Now I've got to do a little backstory now. Let's think about back in the very beginning, throw back to Genesis chapter 1, little recap. I'm not going to read through the whole story because we don't have time for that. But just a little recap. We know in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and so on and so on. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And he said, let there be waters, and let there be, and let there be, and let there be. 
And everything that he said, let there be, it was. And every time it was, he stepped back and said, it is good. I like that. He said, that's good, what I just made. And he made everything there is in existence by speaking it out, except for one thing. The only thing he didn't speak out, the one thing that he did a little differently, was you and I. When he made man, when he made Adam, instead of saying, let there be man, he took the dirt from the ground and he formed man and he named him Adam. And then Adam is in the garden. He's cool. He's chilling. He's having a great time with God living there. There is no evil. There's no bad. There's nothing sick or broken. It's all perfect and flawless because if it were, God wouldn't have said it is good and God wouldn't have made it because he only makes things good. And so everything's great. All things are hunky-dory. And I don't know if that's a southern term or not. Sorry. And uh, he's in the garden. And God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And all my men said, amen. 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 All right. Um, He said, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he makes Adam fall asleep, pops out a rib, makes the woman. Adam wakes up and says, wow, what is that? I see what you did there, and I think it's a good thing. That is good. And God said, yes, I love you. That is for you. That is woman. And Adam named her Eve because she was the first woman there was. Once again, everything's good gravy. There's no problems. Nothing is bad. Nothing's broken. Nothing's sick. There's no evil. They are chilling, having a relationship with God in the garden. Now, there's another thing I want you to notice about when God made man. Rather than the same way that he made all the animals and the fishes and the birds and all that stuff, when God made man, he did one other thing that was a little different. It says he breathed the breath of life into Adam's nostrils. Now, he didn't do that to the dogs and the cats and the fishes and all that jazz. I guess fishes isn't correct. Plural would just be fish. Um, He didn't do that to all the other animals. He breathed the breath of life into man. That's why all dogs don't go to heaven. Spoiler alert. Sorry. I know. Maybe there'll be dogs there. I don't know. Maybe God will make dogs for us there. Who knows? But animals, when they die, they don't go to heaven or hell. They just die. Why? Because they don't have a spirit. They don't have a soul. And when God breathed the breath of life into man, that's what he was doing. He was breathing his spirit into man. That's why we're different than monkeys. I am not a monkey's uncle. I'm a human's uncle. I did not come from primates and apes. Um, Although they're cool animals, that's not where we came from. God made us. And we have the spirit of God inside of us. That's why we're different. But the problem is, then the serpent comes in on the scene. Serpent comes in and he says, hey girl, what's your name is? And she's like, Eve. And he's like, that's a pretty name. I never heard that name before. And she's like, well, there's only two names, Adam and Eve. And he's like, well, I like it. I like what you got going on. (laughs) And so then from there, he says, hey, you see that tree over there? The tree of knowledge of good and evil? You should take a bite because it's awesome. She's like, no, wait a minute. God had told us that we're not allowed to eat that tree or even touch it because if we do, we're going to die. I don't really know what death is, but it doesn't sound fun, so we're not going to do that. He's like, nah, girl, he tripping. You see, (laughs) God don't want you to eat the fruit of that tree because he knows that the day you do, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be like him, knowing both good and evil. Basically, you're going to be awesome like him, and you won't really need him anymore And so he wants you to need him. So that's why I don't want you to eat the tree, eat that fruit from that tree. So it's fine. You're not going to die. You can eat the fruit. She's like, oh, for real? Okay. And she goes over there, takes a bite. Ah, you know. uh, And uh, she eats the fruit. She thinks it's good. 
She gets her husband, Adam, says, come here, Adam. He's like, oh. And uh, she says, try this. This is delicious. And he says, woman, what you doing? And, uh, and, or I'm sure it was probably more like, honey, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know? And, uh, and, and she says, try this fruit. It's so good. And he says, I thought God told us not to eat that. She's like, look, I'm not dead. I'm still alive. So eat it. And so he's like, all right. And he'll go. You know, their eyes were open. They knew they were naked. And uh, they had instantly knowledge of good and evil. Now, think about this. God said, the day you eat the fruit, you're going to die. Did they fall over dead? No. They didn't fall over dead. So does that make God a liar? Of course not. What's the death that happened? Remember the breath of life that God breathed into them, the spirit. That's the death that happened. The connection that we have between God being in the spirit. The spirit of man died when they disobeyed God, when they sinned. Death entered through sin. That stinks. Everything that God made good was then cursed. There was a curse on the earth. Women now have to go through labor pains. Men now have to sweat by the toil in the field and working and all that because of sin. And death happens now because of sin. And sickness happens because of sin. All these things are fruit of sin and disobedience to God. Now that stinks for them. But the sad part about that is then they had kids, which isn't sad, but what happened is sad. And the fact that that sin and death gene passed on to their kids. And then that sin and death gene passed on to their kids and to their kids and to their kids and to their kids and their kids and their kids kids all the way to you and me. Every single human who has been born has been born a sinner and therefore born in death and therefore born separated from God spiritually. That stinks. That's not a good thing. We're dead in sin. But God is so good that he's not just like, well, you messed up. (laughs) Have fun with that. Tough it out. See how that goes. He's so good and so loving that he says, you know what? I got a plan. I'm going to fix this. There's a greater plan, and then he has steps leading up to that. So what happens is we all know the story of Moses leading the people out of Egypt. Whoa, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, whoa, let my people go. No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> he leads the people out of Egypt, out of captivity of 400 years of slavery, and he's leading them to the promised land, and they're in the wilderness and everything. Moses goes up on the mountaintop, Mount Sinai. He's up there for 40 days praying and fasting. God gives them the Ten Commandments, the law. If you're reading the Bible and you hear about the law, that's what it's talking about, the commandments. God gives the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not, and you know, thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, all the Ten Commandments. We're familiar with those. And so he gives those commandments. Moses comes down. The people are dumb and doing bad things. They're sinning. Again, he gets mad. He throws the tablets down, breaks them. They sort that all out. God forgives them. God gives them the Ten Commandments again on new tablets. And so they've got the commandments. Now here's what happened. God gives the commandments. Moses reads them out to all the people. And they say, we will do it every word. That's awesome. We're going to do it. Because here's what's going on. They think God's giving them the commandments again. If you do this and this and this, then you're my people, you're blessed, and we're all good gravy. And they think that, okay, the law, the commandments, is our opportunity once again to be right with God and to be reconciled to God. But that's not the case. When they sat there and they said, we will do it, every word, God said, you're cute, but no, you won't. 
Because God knew that even though he had given the law, man was still dead in sin. Spiritually, they were dead in sin. Where's the proof? Think about your favorite Bible hero. hero. Think about a lot of people's favorite dude is David. You know, he killed Goliath and saved Israel from the Philistines, and then he conquered so many other armies, and he became a great king and everything like that. But he also committed adultery. And because of that, he also had to murder a man to cover up his adultery. So we see our hero, the man after God's own heart, making some pretty big mistakes. After the law was given, after the commandment was there, why? Because he, like everyone else, was born a sinner, born in death. Sin was his nature, just like everyone who's born. Think about your favorite heroes. You got Moses. I just gave the whole story about leading the people out of Egypt. Moses, he does all those great things, all the miracles, the parting of the water, smacks a rock and water comes out. That would have been nice if I could have done that in Texas. You know, he does all these great things. It's obvious God has blessed him. He's known as the greatest prophet in the Bible next to Jesus. And uh, yet he also disobeyed God at a time in, in unbelief, and God didn't even let him step into the promised land because of his sin and his disobedience. You go through the Bible and you see time after time after time after time after time after time, your heroes, your favorite Bible characters that are awesome and great role models, you see them do really, really great and really, really well, but then you see them mess up big time. They're going up and they're going up and then they crash and they burn. Why? Because the same issue was at hand. Even though the commandment was given, the law was given, they misunderstood why the law was given. Because if you consider... That verse we read in Romans chapter 5, we got to verse 20. It said, the law was given to show man how sinful they were. They thought it was given so they could get back together with God. Like, yeah, he's given us another way to get back with him and be his people again. When Paul clarifies, the law was given as a diagnosis, as a diagnostic. It was kind of like God setting out a hurdle and saying, okay, you want to be my people? You want to be good again? Here's the hurdle. Go ahead and jump it. And they're like, oh, sweet. Run, run, run. You know, it was given as a hurdle that couldn't be jumped. God gave the commandments. He gave the law. And in essence, he was giving a contract. He was giving a contract. Because consider this. How does a contract work? I've had a contract with AT&T before for cell, cell phone service. The way that a contract works is you do your part, we'll do our part. With AT&T, my contract was if you pay this much money a month, AT&T says, we will give you this many minutes a, a month to talk to your peoples and to text message all your folks. Oh, you want unlimited? Okay, well, that's going to cost you this much. Or we'll give you this much data every month to browse the internet, to send your emails, to Facebook stalk on people. Don't act like you don't do it. I know better. Okay? <laughs> to Facebook creep on people, to tweet, to watch your cats playing the guitar on YouTube, whatever you want to do with your data. You pay this much, we'll give you this service. As long as you do your part, we'll do our part. Now, if you don't do your part of this contract, if you don't pay, if you stop paying, then here is the penalty, okay? So that's ultimately really what God was doing in giving the law. He was giving a contract saying, okay, if you do these things, thou shalt not do these things and thou shalt do these things. Here's what you're not allowed to do. Here's what you are allowed to do. Here's what I expect of you. If you do these things, then we're cool. You're my peeps and we're all great. If you do these things, it's a contract. And the thing was, when God gave the law, we're talking about cause and effect. Cause, God giving the law, the effect was condemnation. 
It was condemnation. If you go into 2 Corinthians chapter 3, you can read about the law and the commandments being the ministry of condemnation. You can read about it being uh, the ministry of death. If you go into Galatians, you can read about it. Um, it says the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. What it's talking about is, once again, the commandment was given, that contract was given, but God never really intended for us to be able to fulfill that contract because God knew the problem all along that man didn't realize what went wrong in the garden is that we were spiritually dead. Pastor Stephen, what does this have to do with unleashed and being passionate? We're going to get there. Stick with me. <laughs> Every human was born in sin and born in death. And so God gave the law and everybody tried really hard. And even after the Ten Commandments, God said, okay, if you think you can get the Ten Commandments, here's 613 more commandments, the Levitical law. So just in case you think you've got those ten, here's 600 more. Have fun with that. Obviously, thousands of years go by. Everybody's trying and trying and trying and doing good for a little bit and then failing. Just like a lot of people go to church and get inspired, hear the great message, they're like, yes, I'm going to love Jesus forever. I'm never sinning again, ever again. And then you do good for like a week, two weeks, maybe a month, and then you mess up sometimes. It happens. And I think one of the fundamental errors of Christianity today, not Christianity, but our approach or our perception of Christianity, is that very often we are still in the law. Because the law is, God said, do this if you want to be mine. And that's the way we still think very often about Christianity. Even though we know the gospel and we know about grace and we know that Jesus died on the cross for us, it's still very, very, very easy to think, okay, I know I'm supposed to go to church. I know I'm supposed to pray and read my Bible. I know I'm supposed to be nice to people and do good things. I know I'm supposed to probably help with the Momentum Project, and I'm supposed to do all these things. So those are the things I'm going to do, and I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to be passionate about them because that's what we're supposed to be as disciples, we're going to be passionate about the things of God. And we put the carriage in front of the horse. We look at the law. These are the things I'm supposed to do. These are the things I'm expected to do. And you can do good for a little while, but if that's your drive, inevitably, you're going to get burnt out and you're going to crash. Now we go on, fast forward thousands of years, Everybody's trying, everybody's failing, doing good and failing, doing good and failing. And then we get to the New Testament. Enter Jesus. Jesus shows up on the scene as God in the flesh. I want you to think about Jesus for just a second. Consider this. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, it says, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. We all know he was born of the Virgin Mary, immaculate conception, why was it so important that Jesus was born of a virgin? Was it just so we could say, it's a miracle, he must be God? It is a miracle, and yes, he is God, but why a virgin? Because think about it, that sin disease that was passed on to every single person, my genes of sin and death were passed on to the kids and to those kids and to those kids because their father was Adam, the sinner. Jesus, conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary, his father was Father God. That's why he was perfect. That's why he was flawless. That's why he never sinned. That's why he never made a mistake. Why? Because he wasn't born with the sin nature like all of us were. He was born with his Father God's holy, perfect, righteous, loving standard. It was who he was. Therefore, when it came time to look at that contract, to look at that law, 
and say, oh man, this is really tough. I don't know if I can do this. And of course, we can't fulfill that contract because if you look at the contract and you put it summarized all up into two words, it's simply be perfect. That's really the ultimatum of the law. Be perfect. Don't mess up. <laughs> Anybody in here perfect? If you raise your hand, you're not perfect because you just lied in church, okay? <laughs> just saying. Uh, no, none of us are perfect, but that's what the contract, the law, requires. Jesus, the only one who was perfect, therefore, takes this contract and says, this is impossible for them to fulfill because they're not born of God. They're dead in sin. I'm perfect. I'm flawless. The penalty of breaking this contract is death. Romans teaches us that the wages of sin is death. As we read in that passage from Romans 5, that sin entered the world and death by sin. So the cost of breaking the contract or of, of sinning, of breaking the law, is death. And that is the cost of the contract. Jesus shows up and says, all right, I'm going to pay it. That's what the cross was for. The cross was because we had a contract with God, the law requiring us to obey all these things and perform this certain way and do these things in order to be accepted, approved, loved, blessed by God. If you do these things, you're blessed. If you don't, you're cursed. Jesus comes in, signs the contract in blood, folds it up, puts it in the file. When he said, it is finished, that's what he was talking about. It is finished. The three heaviest words in the Bible. When you think about that. Because before then, we are destined to a life of working our hearts out, trying to be good enough for God, and at the same time being condemned every time we fail. If I had a dollar for every time I've rededicated my life to God, I'd probably buy a car. Because you mess up and you feel so bad and you feel like God's mad at you and now your relationships, you're separated from God again. But sin only separated us from God before Christ. Jesus took care of sin with his blood. Now we just read in Romans that whole case about Paul's giving this great case for the grace of God. Adam sinned and messed everything up, but God's gracious gift through Jesus Christ is way better. And he makes such a great case for grace that he goes on in chapter 6 and he says, now I know what you're thinking. If, if sin abounds and it makes grace that much more amazing, if there's more sin and therefore more grace and it makes God's grace more awesome, then shouldn't we just keep on sinning? And Paul says, no, certainly not, because you're dead to sin now. Consider something else it said in Romans chapter 5 that we read. It said, those um, that, that Christ came to set us free from sin and death. There's a difference in free to sin and free from sin. It's a big difference. We're not set free to just go sin. Woohoo, yeah, I'm sinning now because Jesus took care of it. Because you know that you know that you know when you do sin, that even though it may be fun for a season, as time goes on, you feel horrible about it. You feel condemned. You feel burdened and weighted, convicted. You feel guilty. And so it's not a free to that because you're free to condemnation and free to guilt, if that's the case, and free to the burden. But we're not free to sin. We're free from sin. We're free from the bondage of sin. We're free from the control 
of sin. We're free from the guilt and shame of sin. We are free from sin. And so there was the contract that Jesus fulfilled because he was perfect and the only one who could fulfill it. And then there is a new, a new documentation. There's an ID. Now, both are legal documents. You've got your contract and you've got your ID. They're both a legal document. But one, moreover, tells who you are, while the other tells you what's required of you. Now, let's go ahead. Let's go back into Scripture. Let's go to John chapter 3 really quick. I'm going to hit a very familiar, very uh, famous passage. John chapter 3. There's a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. John 3, 1, I'm sorry. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Now, if you've been in church any amount of time, I'm sure you've probably heard the phrase, born again. If, are, are you saved? Are you born again? And if you haven't heard that explained, that just kind of becomes Christian white noise or a very uh, cliched catchphrase, if you will, where you're like born again. And sometimes we can forget what that means or why that phrase is really necessary because let's consider everything I've just talked about, how we were dead in sin. <laughs> Jesus talking to the Pharisees one time, he says, you, you, you don't like me because you're not of my father God, you're of your father the devil. Which, this is not fun to hear, but until you're born again, your father's the devil. That's why you act like him. That's why you got a sin nature. Because you were born in sin. Why do we have to be born again? So that we can be born of God. That our spirit can be awakened in God again. That we can have that union, that connection, that, that relationship, that reconciliation with God again, that we messed up, we sinned, we forfeited, but God made right in Christ. We put our faith in Christ, and that reconciliation takes place. Just like Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb by the Spirit of God, we are born again by the Spirit of God. Salvation, Christianity, is not, come on, be good for God so he can bless you. Salvation in Christianity is we are dead in sin. We are hopeless without a Savior. Jesus is that perfect Savior with grace and love and mercy. You put your faith in him. You're born again. You're reconciled to God again. That is a miracle. That is awesome. Isn't God good? You understand being born again is not just a Christian metaphor of I'm born again, so this is my commitment to be good to God. I mean it this time, God. I know that I sinned, you know, I did that that many times. I know I've done that wrong so many times, but this time, I mean it. I know I meant it last time, too, and the time before that, and the time before that, and the time before that. So what's going to be different this time? The difference has to be that you're not looking at it as 
my commitment to God is what saves me and makes me loved and blessed and accepted by God. Rather, it was Christ's commitment and obedience and perfect faithfulness to God. He was our substitute. It was his obedience to God that substituted our lack of obedience. Now, this could sound like an opportunity to be encouraged to just do whatever, eat, drink, and be merry, woo-hoo, because Jesus paid it all and sin's taken care of, so woo-hoo, let's live it up. But the difference is, like I talked about a minute ago, there's the opportunity to put the carriage in front of the horse, and we're talking about discovering passion, bringing it back home now, where it's all going to start to make sense. Why he's talking about that? Too often... It is far too easy as Christians, as churchgoers, to hear the message and think, okay, here's what I got to do. All right, I'm going to do this. uh, Okay, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. Okay, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Okay, so I need to have love. I got to have love. I got to walk in love. I got to walk in love. Okay, get to work, and the boss is his normal self, and there went my love out the window. (laughs) Not my boss. My boss, Pastor Derek. Or, one of the fruit of the Spirit was patience. I need to be patient. I got to have patience. Come on. Patience, patience, patience. I have patience. I will not be upset. I will not be frustrated. I will be patient. Get home. Frustrations with the family members. Patience out the window. I want you to notice this, though. Because it's too easy. We do this automatically as humans. Because everything in life is about performance, except for family, which is why he's Father God. That, that it's too easy to see, okay, the checklist, if you will, of Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's too easy to look at that list and go, okay, I need to walk in love, and these are the ways I need to be patient, and I have to, I have, to have kindness and gentleness and self-control. I need to be faithful in all these things. Rather than realizing that it says the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of your commitment not the fruit of your dedication, not the fruit of your will, not the fruit of your valiant effort, not the fruit of how awesome you are, the fruit of the Spirit of God in your life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I've been in church all my life. I've heard so many sermons. I've, had, I've seen so many altar calls. I've cried out to God so many times growing up dealing with this frustration of why can't I ever just get it? Why do I keep falling and failing 20-something years of trying, 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 ending up crying, crying, crying? That wasn't even planned. (laughs) Why? Because my whole life up until a few years ago, before God revealed grace to me, was my thought was, this is how I'm supposed to be as a Christian. This is how I'm supposed to act. This is how I'm supposed to behave. These are the things I'm supposed to partake of and participate in as a Christian. Rather than seeing the good, great, awesome grace and love of Jesus Christ as displayed on the cross, as portrayed in the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us, which causes transformation inside of you. When you're born again, the Spirit of God comes into you 
And as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Didn't say if any man be in Christ, he now has permission to try and be good for God again. Didn't say if any man be in Christ, here's the things he has to obey to be God's, to God's child again. Now it's if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature, a completely different creature. One born of God, just like Jesus, with a new godly nature. Sometimes we want these commandments, though, because we want to be able to know we've got our control and we've got our grasp, that if I'm not doing these things, and as long as I'm doing these things, then I'm right with God. But you are only right with God because of the grace and the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. Nothing else. Nothing else. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. His blood paid it all. Passion is always a response. Passion is a response. Passion is not a, you don't wake up on Tuesday and say, hmm, you know what? I think I'll be passionate about the Packers today. People who are passionate about the Packers are Wisconsinites who have grown up hearing about Lambeau and Lombardi and blah, 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 all these, you know, seeing all the games and hearing their grandpa tell the stories about the Hail Mary in the end zone and all that kind of stuff and then watching the games. And I think it's funny that when you go to a football game, if you went to Lambeau Field and you were there, nobody has to turn to you when there's a touchdown and say, okay, let's clap and cheer now. <laughs> Why not? Because there's passion in those people and you people. There's the touchdown and you're jumping and you're screaming it's like you had a baby boy or something, you know? Why? Because you're passionate about the Packers. I can't name my affiliation right now because you'd stop listening to me. <laughs> Passion causes expression. Internal passion causes expression. When we're in praise and worship, I don't want to just sit here and tell you, all right, everyone, lift your hands now because that's how you're supposed to worship. Come on, you're supposed to be singing. Let's sing to God. He's worthy. Although those are true, Worship is an, in, an external expression of what's happened internally. It is a response. Passion is a response. Let's get the carriage back behind the horses. That all of this is by stepping back and looking in awe at the goodness, the grace, and the love of Jesus Christ. He's good. When I consider the things that I've done wrong, how sinful I've been, my errors, my shortcomings, my failures, that he died for me when I was still a sinner, when I was self-righteous as all get out, when I was judgmental, when I was a bad Pharisee. He still died for me when I was there. That does not cause me to try and prove myself to anyone. That causes me to respond in love to his love. As it says in 1 John, we love because he first loved. God is calling us to stop trying to, to earn and stop beating ourselves over the head when we don't earn because it's not about earning. It's not about that. 
He did everything to make, it right, make us right with him. It's not that I don't sin anymore because I want to stay right with God. I don't sin anymore because it's not who I am. My name is Stephen Maris because my dad's name is Terry Maris. I'm named according to who gave birth to me, my parents who birthed me. I have my identity from my parents. Just like when you're born again, you receive a new ID from your father God. You're a child of the most high God. You're born of the spirit of God. You're a new creature, a new creation. And it's not anymore, don't sin because you're not allowed to. It's just, that's not who I am anymore. I'm free from that. I'm a child of God. Trying to tell a Christian to sin is like telling a prince, hey, sleep in the gutter tonight. No. Prince, I'm royalty. I'm going to sleep in the palace. I'm not sleeping there. Or trying to get a prince to eat from a dumpster. No. Princes don't eat from dumpsters. They eat at the king's table because they're royalty. They were born royalty. Princes don't earn it. They're born a child of the king. That's why it's so important that we understand the concept of being born again, what salvation truly is. It's not your dedication to God, and although dedication comes from it as a response, passion comes from that transformation. It's different than inspiration. Because we've all watched our favorite sports on TV or been to a concert where we see our favorite musician. And you're like, I want to be just like them, and I'm going to work as hard as them, and I'm going to I'm going to get my golf swing down just like Tiger, and it's going to be awesome, and I'm going to practice really hard to get it down because you're inspired by watching their awesomeness. But you're not transformed. You're not a different person. And so you give it a week, a month or so, and you're not necessarily out swinging the links like you were when you were inspired because there's a difference between inspiration and transformation. And transformation takes place only by the Spirit of God only by the Spirit of God. And it comes by resting and putting your faith in Christ and trusting that he meant it when he said, it is finished. There's another passage I was going to go to, but I don't have time to right now. It's in Galatians chapter 4, where it talks about we've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. We say to God because he adopted us when we were in sin and called us his children, and we call him Dad now. We call him Father because he's good, because he's loving Passion is a response. Passion is not about, honestly, it's not about you. Passion happens when you see, experience, witness something awesome and beautiful and wonderful and amazing and spectacular, which all of those adjectives describe the love and the grace of Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. It can be very frustrating knowing I'm supposed to be passionate about God and I'm supposed to love God. Looking at what Jesus said when he said the most important commandment is love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second's like it, love your neighbor as yourself. I love God a lot, but can I say that I really love him with all of my heart, all of my soul, every ounce of my being that all day long my, my mind and my heart are bent on God at all times? That was another commandment that I had to trust Jesus Christ to fulfill. And he did fulfill it. And because of that, he's made me a new creature. And I am free now to love God. I'm free now to to enjoy God. 
and enjoying him and looking at him and looking at grace, the more that I look at Jesus and the more that I just want to know him and the more that I just want to spend time with him, the less I find myself sinning. Not because I'm sitting here, I'm not allowed to sin, but I'm spending more time with the person who is perfect and holy and righteous. And he's changing me more and more, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, that the more I look at him, the more I begin to look like him, the more I hang out with God and with Jesus, the less I'm looking like the world, the less I'm doing simple things. Why? Because he's changed who I am. That's the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. I know that's a very fundamental thing. We're talking about unleashed and we're talking about salvation and being born again, but we're putting the horse back in front of the carriage. We, our job is to respond. Our job is to respond to the grace of God. Notice God's not sitting here, you better do this. He's saying, look what I did. That causes passion in humans. Passion comes from a response. I'm gonna invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. You might be like me, maybe you're not like me. Maybe you've never been born again. Maybe you have no relationship with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's been tugging on your heart today. And I want to give you the opportunity to, to meet him, to be born again, as I was talking about. Maybe you're like me. You've grown up in church or you've been in church for a really long time, but your perspective of Christianity was wrong because you thought Christianity was all about, here's the things I have to do to be saved. Here's all the things I have to accomplish and achieve to be God's child. And you're realizing today as the Holy Spirit's revealing grace to you that it's all finished, that he did it all. And he calls you child because of his goodness and his love. And you say, today I'm setting aside law. I'm setting aside the commandments and the contract and I'm receiving my identity in Christ. If you're either of those people today and you say, I wanna be born again, I've never been born again. Or I wanna lay down the law today and, and become a child born of God. Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to call you out and ask you to stand up or come forward or anything like that and embarrass you. I just want you to simply raise your hand right now if that's you. If there's anybody in here, I see that hand. Thank you. 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 there's anybody else, anybody else? Well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray over you. But I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want you to do the whole repeat after me thing. What I want you to do is listen to the words that I pray. And I want you to consider what I'm saying. Your greatest job is to believe it in your heart. That is the greatest job is to believe the gospel. That's your part, faith. So Father, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice, especially those who have raised their hands and even if there were some that wanted to raise their hands. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come in their lives and make them new. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you provided forgiveness of sins, that everything we made wrong, you made right with your blood. Now, God, I ask you to give the grace by the Spirit of God to these people to make them new creations. As your word says in Romans 8, let your Holy Spirit fill them and confirm in them that they are now children of God. Let peace enter. Let joy enter. Let love enter right now. Let them know that they know that they know by the Spirit of God that they are your children. Make them new today. 
And Father, let them never, ever, ever be the same. Let them be forever transformed and changed by your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.